0: It's been about 13 years uh, since I first uh, put together and gave this lesson. And uh, at that time, our country had just <clears throat> held an election uh, during which the newly elected president, Barack Obama, had used the word that we have as our title as his campaign slogan. This word was printed on bumper stickers and it was held up by boisterous crowds. Uh, it was posted on billboard and roadside signs. It was worn by Worn on buttons by young and old. It was shouted from every campaign stump from east to west. It's hard to believe that uh, 13 years have passed. Our country has been through three presidential elections since then, and all of those brought uh, about their own social and political drama and change, Uh, but before you get concerned, let me assure you that this is not a lesson on politics or anything of the the such like. We're not going to examine that president's nor anyone else's views on what needs to change in our country. I do want to borrow Mr. Obama's slogan though for just a while this morning and consider with you what the Bible has to say about change. You know, when you really stop and think about it, it boggles the mind to realize how much change is going on around us every day. Just the other night, some of us were discussing how our parents and our grandparents, that generation may have seen more changes in their lifetime than any other generation before them. I don't know if that's true or not, and I don't even know how you would measure that. But but to think about a generation that went from drawing water from a well and lighting oil lamps for light and uh, riding on roads and horses and buggies to indoor plumbing and LCD lighting and uh going to the moon, when you think about all that change that they saw, it is pretty amazing. Someone put it this way. They said, my great-grandfather rode a horse but was afraid of the train. My grandfather rode a train but was afraid of a car. My father rode a car but was afraid of an airplane. Today, I ride in an airplane but I'm afraid of a horse. (laughs) And if you watch the the cartoon show, The Jetsons, some of you may remember that uh, as a kid, here's a scary thought. I'm told that on that show when it was written and designed, the father character, George Jetson, supposedly he was born in the year 2022. And so maybe it's possible that some of the young children here today uh, within their lifetime might fly around in spaceships and have a robot made, who knows. But to bring all this a little closer to home, let's think about the changes we've seen just in the last two years. At this time, two years ago, January of 2020, words like pandemic and quarantine, they weren't part of our everyday everyday vocabulary, Much much less words like coronavirus and social distancing. You know, when Michael Jackson started wearing a mask to protect himself from unseen viruses, most of us thought he was crazy. And now many of us wear one just to go into Walmart. I never thought I would teach classes from home with a camera and a microphone. Truly, a lot can change in a short amount of time. Well, with all these changes around us, I'm reminded of the familiar quote which says, the only thing that's constant is change. I'm not sure who said that, but it certainly seems to be the case. And it can be a little bit overwhelming, to say the least, to, to recognize and realize all the changes that go around us, go on around us all the time. But this morning... I want to share with you some ideas that, that hopefully will help to keep us grounded, will give us some sense of comfort, because today we want to be reminded of some things that do not change. And the first thing we want to notice is that God does not change. He makes that very clear in his word. In Malachi 3 and verse 6, we, which we could use as a simple text for our study this morning, but there God says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Now what's especially interesting about this verse and these words is that if you read the context, you realize that they were spoken in a time, much like our own, of great change and not necessarily for the better. For God's people, worship had become superficial, had become casual. Um, People basically gave God their leftovers uh, in worship. The moral law of God had been For the most part, disregarded, especially concerning marriage. Neither the priests nor the people took seriously the threat of facing judgment. Kind of sounds a lot like our world today, doesn't it? And in that context, the Lord was reminding His people and warning them that He had not changed. Specifically, God was referring to His own qualities, qualities such as patience and long-suffering and compassion and mercy but also judgment. When he said, I am the Lord, I do not change. The word Lord there um, is the Hebrew word Jehovah. I think it would be interesting for us sometime to just study all the different names of God that are found in scriptures. But this name Jehovah means that he is eternal, that he is self-existent, that he is self-sufficient, the one who created and sustains it all. He never had a beginning, He will never have an ending. God has always been, always is, and will always be. And I know that's hard for us to wrap our feeble minds around that concept, but the Bible has plenty to say about that. For example, in Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27, David writes there, "'Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, "'and the heavens are the work of your hands. "'They will perish, but you will endure.'" Yes, they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will change them and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will have no end. In James 1 and verse 17, James says that God is the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And in Hebrews 13 and verse 8, the writer says that Jesus, uh, who of course, of course, shares those same immutable, eternal qualities as God. He is, the writer says, the same yesterday and today and forever. By the way, there's a good vocabulary word of the day. If you're not familiar with the word immutable, and I had to look that one up uh, as well, but the word immutable simply means something that is unchanging over time or unable to be changed. And that's a word that describes certainly our God. Have you ever known someone who seem to have multiple personalities, and I'm not talking about a legitimate psychological condition such as schizophrenia, but someone that you just never really know what to expect from them. It all depends on the mood that they're in. Maybe some of your you husbands are thinking back to when your wife was expecting and, and experienced those infamous mood swings that go along with pregnancy, but we men are, are just as guilty of it too. Uh, a person that's like that is, is hard to get to know. You're always on your guard and you tiptoe around them to see what mood that they happen to be in at that moment. Because one day they might be happy and go lucky and the next they might be ready to to bark at anybody who dares to speak at them. God's not like that, thankfully. We can go to Him anytime because He does not change. And that brings us to our next point, which is that God's love for mankind does not change. I'm sure I've shared this story before, but I think it's worth sharing again. The story is told of a man, who, or a man and a woman rather, who had been married for several years. And when they were younger, whether they were riding around town or whether they were traveling some distance, the girl would always sit just as close to her husband as she could on the seat of his pickup truck. So close that if it weren't for two heads, then somebody behind them might think that there was only one person in the truck. You know, that used to be possible before they started putting those consoles uh, in all the vehicles. Anyway, as the years passed, and as time has a way of doing, other things seemed to take over their life and, and somehow come between them. The wife became busy juggling children and a career and soccer games and music lessons and so on until they just didn't seem as close as they once were. And one day when this couple was driving into town, the wife, who was now sitting on the passenger side near the door, she looked at her husband and she said, do you remember when we used to ride in this old truck and sit so close together that you couldn't tell us apart? What happened to us? And as the husband sat in his usual place under the steering wheel, he answered sadly, I haven't moved. Well, now, before you think I'm blaming the wife for all of their uh, problems, chances are that both husband and wife could share the blame for the growing distance in their relationship. However, what he said is definitely true of God. When it comes to God's love for man, God hasn't moved. We often get busy and we find ourselves moving away from God, maybe even loving Him less in some way. But no matter what, his love for us does not change. When our girls were young, uh, something in one of their little Bible story books really struck me. It was telling the story about Adam and Eve and the first sin in the Garden of Eden. And after God announced their punishment, he sent them away, of course, from the Garden. And here's how that little book put it. It said, God watched in sorrow as Adam and Eve walked away. He knew that Adam and Eve would grow tired from cutting and hauling wood to build their house. He knew they would be hungry when there was not enough rain to make their garden grow. And this made God sad, for God still loved them. Now, that might have been a little bit of poetic license, uh, just added to help children come to grips with what was happening in the story, but maybe sometimes we need to hear about God's love from a child's point of view. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so as as our children sing so often. But maybe as adults we need to sing that from time to time ourselves. It's so true. 1 John 4, verses 7 through 10 puts it very well. It says, Behold, or rather beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God loved man enough to send His Son into this world and to die for Him. Romans 5 and verse 8 says, But God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, god or rather Christ died for us. We need to be thankful. We need to be mindful that God doesn't change the way that, that He feels about us. You can't make God love you any more, but you also can't make God love you any less, no matter how you may treat Him. And how is it that God can love us through all of that? It's because He does not change. But there's another side to that. While God does not change the way that He feels about us, we also need to realize that God does not change in the way that He feels towards sin. God hates sin. He always has, and He always will. When man sinned in the garden, God was, if you will, offended. Sometimes I'm afraid that, that we, including myself, we may look at that incident and think, well, what was the big deal? It was just a piece of fruit. But it was a big deal because God had told Adam and Eve not to do it. Revelation 4 verse 11 says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. That should be a very humbling thought for us. Our sole purpose of existence, our reason for being on this earth, is to honor and glorify God and to please Him, to make Him happy if you want to. Put it in our everyday language. But sin does not make God happy. Our sin is an offense to God. It sickens Him. It is detestable to Him. Now, our world might call sin by some other name, but sin is still sin. What was sin 10 years ago is still sin today. And if it was sin 50 years ago, it's still sin today. And if it was sin in Jesus' day, it's still sin today. The world might call it an alternative lifestyle, but the Bible still calls it sin. You might call it hooking up, but the Bible still calls it sin. You can say that you can't help the way that you feel. Maybe you hold resentment or bitterness or hatred towards someone, but again, the Bible says that it's sin. You might say that your parents are unbearable and you you just can't honor or obey them, but when you don't, the Bible says that you are sinning. You know, we can make some of the sorriest excuses for sin. It's almost as, if, as though we have to convince people that, that what we're doing is okay. Most of the time, we're probably really trying to convince ourselves. But know this, God has never changed the way that He feels about sin, and He's not going to. If He were going to change the way that He felt, then certainly He would have done so on that terrible day 2,000 years ago when His only begotten Son was crucified because of sin. If God was ever going to somehow decide to overlook man's sin, or change the way He felt about sin, or redefine sin, then certainly that would have been the time to do it. Well, just as God's feeling about sin is the same today as it has always been, then likewise the results of sin have not changed. The Bible teaches us that the wages of sin is death, according to Romans 6 and 23. God told Adam that in the day he ate of the forbidden fruit, that he would surely die. And that death, of course, consists of physical death, which we must all face. Adam lived to a a very old age compared to to our uh, life expectancy today. But, But had he never obeyed, or rather had he never disobeyed God, he would have lived forever. But because he did eat the forbidden fruit, then now it's appointed for men to die once But after this, the judgment, according to Hebrews 9 and 27. We can't do anything to prevent physical death. But the second part of the results of sin was eternal spiritual death. That one, thankfully, something can be done about because God sent His Son. And through Him, we can avoid eternal death and we can enjoy living forever. That was that promise that that Adam threw away so long ago, to live forever. Well, we can enjoy that spiritually speaking, but to do so we must obey the gospel plan of salvation. We must have our sins forgiven. We must believe and repent and confess and be buried in baptism to receive that forgiveness. And then we must continue to live faithfully to receive eternal life. Without God's plan or without following God's plan, rather, we will indeed reap the results of our sins and suffer That second death. 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 8 tells us that the Lord will return someday in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's what God's Word plainly tells us. Speaking of God's Word, our next point that we want to consider is that God's Word does not change. You know, when it comes to words... um, and specifically the, the uh, rules of, of grammar and language, seems that those rules are, are very fluid. Over time, they change. For example, those of you who are my age uh, or older, you were probably taught in typing class or keyboarding if, if uh, you never used anything before the days of computers, but you were probably taught that at the end of a sentence, when you hit that period, that you should then hit the space bar two times. I don't know if you realize this, but that's not the rule anymore. It wasn't until a couple of years ago that I learned that that's not the rule. Now you just space once after a period. Several years ago, I heard that there was a petition going around, or a movement at least of some sort, that proposed that we should just officially take out the apostrophe from the English language. And I looked into that a little bit, and it turns out that this push had actually been going on for, for quite some time. If you're not exactly sure what I'm talking about... Um, The apostrophe is that little punctuation mark that it's used to show possession. If I wanted to say the dog's bone, I would use an apostrophe to show that the bone belonged to the dog. Apostrophes are also used in contractions, uh, which are just abbreviations where we leave letters out. The word can't, for example, we leave out a couple of letters there, we replace them with an apostrophe. Apostrophes, however, are not supposed to be used to make a word plural, at least in general cases. For example, if, uh, if I'm talking about a group of people or family with the last name Smith, I can call them the Smiths, but I don't need an apostrophe there. I just add an S, even though you see that mistake made a uh, lot of times. If you look in books, even in magazines or signs, you will see, again, the apostrophe is probably the most common mistake in our grammar or in our language. And so apparently the idea was at least, and I don't know if this is still the case, but since so many people just didn't understand it and weren't going to follow the rules, then let's just do away with the apostrophe altogether. And at first, maybe that kind of sounds like a good idea. But then consider what that statement is saying. Because that's exactly what people have been trying to do for many years with God's Word. There are parts of the Bible that people claim are just too hard to understand. And there are other parts that, quite honestly, people just don't want to understand or don't want to follow. And so instead of changing their own lives to fit God's rules, they've simply changed the rules, or at least they've attempted to do so. They ignore the parts that they don't like. You may remember this story told by Brother Joe Heisel, but he told about a lady who simply cut out, literally with scissors, cut out all the references to baptism in her Bible because She didn't want to be baptized or didn't want to believe that baptism was necessary. And when the preacher tried to explain to her that the Bible says that baptism is necessary for salvation, she could just smugly reply, well, my Bible doesn't say that because she cut out all those parts. Priests and preachers misquote God's word. They teach false doctrines that are contrary to what the Bible says. Denominations make up their own creeds and false prophets claim to receive new revelation. Some have even rewritten God's word and they just call it a new translation or version when in reality they've created something that's different than what God wrote. And sadly, because so many people rely on others to tell them what God's law says instead of reading it and studying it on their own, then our world has been misled in countless different directions. But we should be very clear, God's word has not and does not and will not change. Listen to some verses that describe God. Numbers 23 and 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? 1 Samuel 15 verse 29 says, this is from the New American Standard Version, says, the glory of Israel will not lie nor change his mind, for he is not a man that he would change his mind. Psalm 33 and verse 11 says, The plan of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart from generation to generation. Very often you pick up a book, you might notice on the cover or under the title that that it says something like revised or expanded or new edition. That means that the book, since it was last published, has had some changes, some updates. And usually that's a good thing. Uh, Imagine if you were to buy a map today, an atlas maybe, Rand McNally's uh, atlas. Suppose that we can only buy the same old road map that was first published by Rand McNally back in 1934. How useful do you think that would be on our uh, interstates and, and highways today? Not very, not very useful at all, would it? What about the, the Guinness Book of World Records? If we could only buy the first version of that that came out in 1954, there are hundreds if not thousands of, of records that have been broken since then. And even when it it comes to rule books, as I mentioned, even English grammar books, there have to be updates written because things change. Think of the rules when it comes to doing your taxes. I'm sure Brother Terry could tell us just how much these rules change from year to year. But God's rules do not change. His rule book, if you will, the Bible, is the same today as it was when it was first written. Now, granted, God's plan, his original plan, might I add, did have two or maybe even three sections, if you will, the Old and the New Testament or the patriarchal and Mosaic and Christian ages. Again, that was God's plan. But that's all clearly outlined in the book, as Brother Don McCord so fondly calls it. Our point is, though, that God's word never changes. We don't have to worry about him changing the rules. I mentioned uh, roadmaps. Brother Carl Simpson used to say his (laughs) prayers that the Bible is our roadmap to heaven. And thankfully, God doesn't change that map. When it comes to the Word of God, there won't be a second or third or fourth edition. The Word of God stands forever, according to Isaiah 40 and verse 8. You don't have to worry about God changing His mind about how the world is going to end. He's not going to release a a second edition of the book of Revelation that that takes out the pearly gate or the street of gold. He's also not just bluffing when it comes to the reality of hell. The plans of the Lord, God's word, stand firm forever. Well, next, our need for God also does not change. Just as God's love for man does not change, nor His opinion about sin, nor His plan for mankind, and likewise our need for God does not change or diminish in any way. I think that as we grow up and as we grow older, some people tend to think that they need God less and less. Maybe they think that God is is something or someone that's only in the minds of children. A fictional character like Mother Nature or Jack Frost that helps them explain or understand the way things are. When children ask questions like, how do birds fly, or how do flowers grow, or where do babies come from, or why do people die, or who's going to take care of me when mommy and daddy aren't around. These are all questions that consume the mind of a child. And the easiest way for parents to explain this is by referring to God. God makes birds fly and flowers grow. God sends babies. And when people die, they go to live with God. And God will watch over you and take care of you because He loves you. You know, whether we believe those things or not when we tell them to our children, they really are true. But as people grow older, they tend to forget about these questions or they come up with their own so-called grown-up answers that leave God out of the equation. Adults get so busy in their everyday lives that they don't take the time to stop and and watch the amazing feats of nature, such as birds flying or flowers growing. They don't stop to see the, the big picture when it comes to new life, beginning, as well as what it means when a life ends. They're big boys and girls now, so they don't need anyone to watch over them or take care of them. They can take care of themselves. And besides that, science has come up with other more quote-unquote believable answers to many of these childhood questions. Birds fly because of aerodynamics and physics, and flowers grow because of pollination and photosynthesis, and this whole universe was Created by itself. One day there was just a big bang and some gases got together and before you know it there was an earth and humans crawled out of a mud hole and eventually uh, became what we see today in the mirror. Certainly that's much more believable, right, than some childhood fantasy about a God in heaven who creates and controls and cares for our world. Well, I'm being hopefully obviously sarcastic there. None of that is any more believable, nor is it true. Um... We may think that we outgrow God, but the fact is that we need Him now as much as we ever did. In fact, if you really think about it, we need Him more as adults than we did as children. As children, the Bible says that we're innocent and we're sinless. It's when we grow up and out of our own stubborn will disobey God that we need His mercy and His grace and His forgiveness to save us from our sins. And that never changes. I've heard older Christians say how the older they get, the more they realize the need to study the Bible and spend time in prayer and do good to others. Why is that? Well, probably because they realize they're getting closer to eternity and they need God more than ever. But really, we should all feel like that now, no matter what age we are. We need God more than we can imagine. Well, with all the constant change going on around us, I hope that we've gained some comfort this morning in noticing a, a few things that do not change. Finally, there's one more thing I want to notice that that does not change, and that is that we cannot change our past. There was a song written by Brother Linwood Smith that's always been special to me for several reasons. For one thing, it was published in 1972, which was the year I was born, and so I remember seeing this as a, a very young child. Uh, Secondly, Linwood wrote both the words and the music to the song. And maybe it's just my imagination, but to me that says that he had an even more personal connection with the, the song than others where he only wrote the words and not the music. Of all the hundreds of songs that he took part in, a uh, very few of them included both his lyrics and his composition. But then thirdly, the words of the song just seem so heartfelt. It's as if he wrote them for himself. The song was called Some Things... I'd change. Let me share those words with you. Linwood wrote, There are so many things that make me sad and fill my life with sore regret. Some things that I have done, I know that they were bad and how I wish I could forget. I could forget. There are so many things I've left undone, the sad that I have failed to cheer. There are so many souls that I have never won and caused someone to shed a tear, to shed a tear. There are words I wish that I had never said, and steps I've made that were untrue. O Lord, forbid that ever some soul I have misled. I know sometimes I have failed you. I have failed you. And the chorus says, there are so many things I'd like to change, if possible for this to be. But there's one thing that I would never rearrange, the wondrous love (coughs) of Calvary. As I said, those words just seem to come from Linwood's heart, as if they were his own personal story. In fact, my grandmother, who, who grew up with Linwood, she used to say that when he wrote that song, he must have done something really bad. I don't know if that's the case or not. But as personal as they may seem for him, I think we can all admit that, that they are our own words, or they should be our own words as well. We all have things, many things probably, that we wish we could change. The fact is, though, we cannot change our past. But... We can't let that get us down either. We should be sorry for the past, and we should be repentant and try not to repeat those same mistakes. That is, we should vow to change in the future. And in the meantime, the good news is that God has promised to forget about our past. I don't know how many of you know Brother Dennis Bumbelow from the Longwood, Florida congregation, but I once heard him speak about the the Day of Judgment, and he shared this amazing thought um, for those who are saved. He said that when the books are open, as the Bible tells us they will be on the Day of Judgment, when the books are open, they will include all of the good things that we've done, but none of the bad things. Now, that's not to say that we are once saved, always saved. But when we obey the gospel, our slates, as it were, are wiped clean. And as His children, if we will repent, if we will confess our sins, then the Bible tells us that He will forgive all our iniquity and remember our sin no more, Jeremiah 31 and 34. Micah said that God would cast our sins into the deepest sea, Micah seven nineteen. And Paul told the Roman Christians that God would forgive our sins and cover them up, Romans 4 and verse 7. And so when God forgives our sin, He puts it out of His mind. He erases it from the pages of time, as it were. Don't you want your record to look like that, to only be the good things you've done and, and none of the bad? Don't we all want that? Well, if that's the case, then then we know what we need to do. We've outlined the steps this morning for those who have never obeyed the plan of salvation. And So if you're here this morning, you need to obey the gospel, then do so today. Or if you are a Christian, but you need to right some wrong, you need to confess those sins and and repent of them, then we would be glad to assist you. If there's one of you in the class, please come while we stand, while we sing.